Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. It is good to have you with us. I know many of our families are traveling um, and are away at this time, or some of you are planning on going away either this afternoon or tomorrow. So I'll continue to pray for your safety and enjoy your time with your family. We're going to continue our Nativity series um, talking about what child is this. We talked about two weeks ago about that Jesus is King. Last week we talked about Jesus as Savior, and I want to conclude the series talking about Jesus is our God. Matthew chapter 1, and I will read. You can follow along in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 22, it says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. God, we are thankful that we can study this passage. We are thankful that we can know that Jesus came not just as a man, although he did that, but as God, so that He could spend time with us and dwell among us and know our infirmities and suffer so that we could have forgiveness. Lord, I pray that You'll help us as we go through this message. Lord, help me that my words will not be my own, Lord, but that they will be from You. Lord, we ask that You are glorified. We ask this in Your name. Amen. After many failed attempts in December of 1903, Orville and Wilbur Wright finally got their flying machine off the ground. If you've been to the Smithsonian, we were there this summer, you were able to see the replica of it, and uh, quite an interesting plane. When that happened, the airplane was born. In their excitement, they sent word to many people, and one of the people they sent word to was their sister, Catherine. They sent her a telegraph, and telegraph, they were limited in what they could put, and so they simply said this, flew 120 feet, will be home for Christmas. When Catherine got the news, she ran immediately to the local newspaper, thinking this was a story that the editor needed to see. And so she took the telegraph to him, and he he glanced at the telegraph, and he looked back at her, and he said, that's nice that the boys will be home for Christmas, and gave her back the telegraph and walked away. He completely missed the point. He missed, yes, it was nice that the boys were coming home for Christmas, but he missed the big news. He missed that for the first time ever, man had flown an airplane. That was the big news. But how often do we miss the big news at Christmas? All too often we're caught up in the the tinsel and we're caught up in the lights and we're caught up in the shopping and the gifts and, and the excitement and we miss the real meaning. Those are all nice and those are all fun and those can all be a good thing, but we miss them. I'm sure the Wright brothers, their family was happy to see them, but that wasn't the big news. The big news for us today is that God became a man over 2,000 years ago in order that we can have a relationship with Him. I want to take some time to talk about that. 
Because today the world will tell you that Christianity is no different than any other world religion. If you were to go to most colleges today and take a religion class, you will find that's being taught that the professor will tell you that there's no difference between the Christian God and any other God in any other religion. They will tell you that all religions are exactly the same. Even today, there's, there's Christian professors that are teaching the same thing. Just heard just this week that a professor at Wheaton College is, was, is teaching that. And you know what? They're almost right. Because all religions of this world are essentially the same. That is except for one. Every religion in this world, whether it's, you're talking about Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Mormonism, Paganism, New Age, all of them are the same. Every religion in the world requires that man do something to work his way up to God. In fact, many of those religions teach that it's not just about working your way up to God, it's about becoming a God. Becoming one with God. And that is the thing that all religions have in common. All religions require men to do something to attempt to become divine, to become God. All except one. All of them except biblical Christianity. Because you see, the goal of Christianity isn't to become God. The goal of Christianity is to have a relationship with God. The goal of Christianity is to know God. And God is God and we are not. And we will never be God. And we will never be uh, exactly like God. God is far too holy. God is far too perfect. God is far too righteous. God is far too pure. God is far too powerful for us to be like Him or even imagine what He is like. We can never become God. We're too frail. We're too imperfect. We're too sinful. We're too messed up to become God. We can never become God, but that's why He became man. God had to become man. Not so that we could become like Him, but so that in all of our sin and imperfections, we could have a relationship with Him. In order that God might have a relationship with us, God sent His Son who stepped down into human form and stepped down from heaven and became man. And I want us to understand that thought this morning. It's really a deep doctrine to study. It's really something we could take a long time to look at, but really the idea is Jesus came to earth as a man so that he could have a relationship with you. I want to look at this morning three aspects of our relationship with God that God desires for us to have. And and the first one, if you'll turn the screen here, it's slow this morning. Uh, The first one is God desires a human relationship. God desires a human relationship. God wants us to have a normal relationship with Him. If you look in Matthew chapter 1 again in verse 23, just look at the beginning. It says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. God came as a baby. Think about that for a moment. Do you remember being around babies? We have had a number of ladies in our church have babies recently. And so I I enjoy that process. I do not enjoy the parenting of a baby. (laughs) It's easier to just go and grab someone else's baby and hold it and say, oh, that's cute, that's pretty, and and then walk away and hand it back to mom. But do you remember being a parent of a baby? Or do you remember being around a baby? And what are, babies are cute, aren't they? 
I mean, every parent believes they have the cutest baby in the history of mankind. How many of you had the cutest baby ever? Look at that. If you didn't raise your hand and you have kids and your kids now are angry at you, so you should have. Okay, but parents think their baby's the cutest. Why is it that, I mean, that's why parents take hundreds of pictures of the baby. They haven't changed their pose, they haven't changed their look, but somehow this picture's better than the last one, isn't it? Unless, you know, it's the second born or the third born or on down, then we stop taking pictures. But uh, people love holding babies. They love touching soft baby skin. People love staring at babies. You love listening to baby talk. Parents imagine that their baby advances faster than any other baby, don't they? I mean, they look and they go, Aw, isn't that the cutest baby? My baby did this. I don't know if any baby's ever done that before, but mine did. As if your baby's better. We love kissing babies' soft little cheeks. But on the other hand, babies are gross. I mean, think about it for a minute. They have no control of their bodily functions whatsoever. Zero control. I mean, they have no control at all. They stink. They smell. You walk in the room, I mean, you walk into our nursery and it smells all the time. They burp all the time. They produce other disgusting smells and substances that we won't want to talk about here. As parents, how many times have you had to change a massive diaper blowout? It's no fun. Think about it for a moment. What an odd way for the creator of the universe to enter his creation. Why would God's Son subject himself to that? Why would God's Son, who created all things, subject Himself to the drooling and the spitting up and the dirty diapers? The story is told about an old farmer who asked the same question. He thought the idea of God coming to earth as a man was ridiculous. One evening, during a a really terrible snowstorm, he was in his house and he kept hearing loud thumps on his living room window and the snow was so bad that he couldn't even see outside to see what it was and and so he just kept hearing and finally the snow let up a little bit so he uh, he uh, got brave enough to head outside. It turned out that a flock of geese had, had been flying and because of the weather they just couldn't handle it anymore and so they came down and they got disoriented and they didn't know what they were doing and they were, they were kind of going all over the place, going crazy and every once in a while in, in the craziness they would run into the window of his house not knowing what it was. And the farmer knew that if they stayed in this condition eventually they would either, they would either kill themselves by running through a window or they would, they would uh, die of, uh, of, of cold. So he decided he had to do something about it. He opened up, went over to his barn, and he opened up his, his barn door. He turned on the light so that he could see the light, and, and he, he, he tried to get them to go, but they were so scared that even when he came close to them, they would go the other direction, and he couldn't get them to go into the barn, and he couldn't do anything about it. Finally, a thought came to him. If I could just become a goose, then I could save them. If I could just become one of them, then I could tell them this is the best way to go. This is the best place to be. And suddenly, while he was thinking that, he realized that's why Jesus came to earth. It wasn't that ridiculous after all. In Jesus' humanity, he had to endure anything that you could possibly imagine. He had to endure physical struggles, hunger, poverty, pain, he had to endure emotional struggles. I mean, uh, in my Sunday school class this morning, we talked about Judas. He was betrayed by a friend. He was rejected by his own family. He was mocked. He was made fun of. 
In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, if you'll turn the slide there, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15, it says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. What does it tell us? We have one who in every respect was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus came to have a relationship with us. The word relationship comes from the root word, which means to relate. Jesus had to come to earth as a man in order to relate to us. In our sin and weakness, there was no way we would ever be good enough to relate to God. There's no way in our imperfection, you know, uh, I spend a lot of time counseling people and counseling people, you know what I find out? None of us understands who God is. Because none of us in our sinfulness can understand how God can do anything. And so there's no way we are ever going to be good enough to relate to God. And so Jesus came down and God reached into history and took our own infirmities so that he could relate to us. He struggled in life with things we do as well. Like I said, he went through the baby stage of dirty diapers and burping all the time. He went through the clumsy stage of trying to learn how to walk and falling over. He went through the stage of of skinned knees and skinned elbows and, and running to mom because it hurt. He went through early adolescence of body changes. Oh, that's a scary time, isn't it? He went through the difficulty of acne and other teen issues. He had to deal with mean siblings. He had to deal with family issues. He probably saw many times where his parents struggled They struggled uh, to relate to him. They struggled with finances. His father was a carpenter. He was poor. There's probably many days where they didn't have as much food as they needed or wanted. He became a man. He hurt. It says in that passage, it says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. It doesn't say a virgin shall conceive and bear a God. A son. He became man in order to have a human relationship with us. To understand us. He became man in order to save us. But the second thing, God desires a human relationship with us, but the second one is, God desires a holy relationship with us. Look at the second part of the verse there. It says that, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This passage comes from a prophecy given by Isaiah to describe the circumstances that surrounded and would surround the coming of the Messiah. And they, they were told that a Messiah would come. And, and through the Old Testament, you can see woven through the Old Testament, uh, detail after detail of what it means that Jesus is going to come. And, and Isaiah comes along and, and he says to them, in the next uh, slide there, he says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. There's going to be a sign that you're going to know it's the Messiah. And what's the, Messi- the sign? The sign is a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This name was, is given to reflect who God was going to be. Who this child that was going to be born to this virgin was going to be. This child was going to be given the name Emmanuel. Now Matthew in his writing as we see here, he adds to that. He tells the people, he says, why was he given the name Emmanuel? Because Emmanuel means God with us. It doesn't mean God is only a man. It means God 
comes down to earth and come, becomes one of us by giving us this name of the Messiah. God wanted us to know that this was not just an ordinary baby. This was a baby who came and, and, and suffered and, and went through all the things we did, but he was God. He was establishing him in a different position than as a son. He was one of us, but as God. He was one of us, yet he is almighty God. God desires for us to know that about Himself. That he's not, He didn't come just as a man. He came as a man who was still God. And He desires for us to understand it because He wants us to have, understand that He is holy and have a holy relationship with us. In 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 2, it tells us there in that, in that passage, there is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. God is holy. His holiness means that He's high and lifted up. His holiness means that He's righteous, that He is powerful, that He is all-knowing, that He is everywhere at once, that He is infinite. That's who He is. He's perfect. No words can accurately describe that. God is holy. God is perfect. And because God is holy and God is perfect, He cannot tolerate profane and imperfect things. If he did, it would take away from his holiness. If he did, his holiness would be tainted. Imagine, if you will, and many of you would probably like this, it's now summertime. It's 90 degrees outside. Okay, maybe that's too hot. But for my illustration, it's, it's a good number. It's 90 degrees outside, and you decide you've got to go mow your lawn. You don't want to mow your lawn because it's really hot, but you've got to go out and mow your lawn. If you're like me, my wife would attest to this, if I go out and mow my lawn in 90 degree weather, I am going to come in and I'm going to be a mess. Okay, I'm going to be one sweaty mess. I sweat a lot and I, I wouldn't have a dry spot in my clothing. Okay, but not only that, with that temperature, it would be dusty, it would be dirty, my clothes would be nasty, I would stink, I would smell, I would walk in the house and I would take my dirty clothes and I would put them back in my drawer, correct? Why not? No, I would put them in the, with the dirty clothes. I probably would burn them, no, uh, but I probably should. But I would put them there. Why? Because, uh, uh, because the same is true with our relationship with God. He is holy. He is clean. He is without, without filth. And yet we are filthy. We can't, we can't be in His presence. We can't be around Him. So how can an infinitely holy, perfect God have a relationship with a weak, sinful, and frail people like you and me? He can. But it's not based on what we do. As I said at the beginning, every other religion in the world says it's based on your performance. It's not based on anything we do. It isn't based on anything we've earned. In fact, Scripture tells us anything that we've earned in relationship to God is just actually dirty garments. If you look at the next passage on the screen in Isaiah 64, in verse 6, notice what it says. It says, We have all become like one, of, one who is unclean. That there is a reference to a leper. 
And back in the Bible times, someone who had the disease of leprosy was, was so seen as unclean that they were not allowed to be anywhere near other people. You see the stories when Jesus would heal people. Actually, when, when they were healed of leprosy, they had to go to the priest to be made clean in the eyes of the people. It goes on and it says, "...and all our righteous deeds..." are like a polluted garment. It's a, it's a dirty image. It's an unclean garment that is rags that are discarded during a woman's menstruation. It's gross. It's not something that we want to talk about. And here in this passage, God says our best efforts are like that. The best we can possibly do comparison to this holy God is dirty. His holiness, His righteousness is embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. When Jesus came to save us, Scripture tells us when Jesus came to earth and He died on the cross, this holy, perfect God His holiness then is imputed to us. His righteousness then is given to us. That's why it tells us in in the next verse on the screen, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, it says, For our sake uh, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. I do not stand up here a righteous person because of my own efforts. Because my own efforts always, always fall short. I stand up here knowing that I have the righteousness of God because of what Jesus Christ did. If you're saved, when God the Father looks at you, all He sees is His Son. He doesn't see your imperfections. He doesn't see your frailties. He doesn't see your sin. He's forgiven them. And Scripture says He's forgiven them as far as the east is from the west. All He sees is His Son. His righteous Son. His Holy Son. But the question is asked, how does that work? How does it work that God desires a human relationship with us so He came down in the form of a man? Because I gave you the illustration of the farmer and he said, if only I could become a goose. But here's the thing, if a farmer became a goose, he'd just be as foolish as the other geese. If it was just about God coming down, if Jesus was only a man, He would only be able to uh, sympathize with us. He, He wouldn't be able to actually save us. So how does it work? The last thing we want to look at is God desires a complete relationship with you. It's not just enough that God came as a man. It's not just enough that God came as God. He desires a complete, total relationship with us. If God had only uh, sent Him as a man, He would have only been able to sympathize with us. He couldn't have saved us. If God had only come to us as God, He could only come to condemn us. He couldn't save us. But God came to us as both. Scripture makes that very clear. He sent Jesus to be born of a virgin as a man, fully man, 100% man. And He sent His Son Jesus to be conceived of the Spirit as God, fully God, 100% God. Jesus is 100% God. Jesus is 100% man. And it might sound confusing, and I don't fully get it. And you say, well, I don't fully get it. Well, join the crowd. But God says it's true. 
And God is powerful enough to do it. On Friday, we celebrated the fact that over 2,000 years ago, an infinite God stepped into history. He stepped into time that he created, although he's not bound by it. And yet he placed himself in a position to be bound by it. He reached down through his infinite power and majesty. When he, on, on Christmas morning, as we call it, on Christmas morning, cried that first helpless cry of a baby. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes. And as he lied there in that manger as a baby, cute and cuddly and at the same time disgusting because uh, of the, the, he was a baby. Yet he was fully God and fully man. That's an incredible thought. God had something great to accomplish with this baby. What can we learn from it? The idea that Jesus came down and was fully God and fully man is a, is a term that we call uh, the incarnation of Christ. And in closing, I just want to look at a few, uh, and for a few moments, I want to look at what are some lessons that we can learn from the incarnation of Christ. First of all, number one, I'll skip to the next one, sorry, I missed that. First one, the incarnation shows us Christ's vast love for us. And also in addition to that, the importance of us loving others. We all know the verse John 3.16 that says what? God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only son. That's the reason for the incarnation. Why did God do that? Why did God place his son into the, into the body of a human being? Because he loves us. Because he cares for you in your flawed and imperfect state. Because he loves you. This is God becoming man and doing so because of his incredible love for us. And you know what? Christ tells us to love one another as he first loved us. Christ is our example of love. And can you think of anything more great than that? And not only that, God, God not only came down in human form and lived the life of a human, but he died. And not just an ordinary death. I mean, if it was an ordinary death, you know, that'd be one thing. But he died a horrific, horrible death because of his love for us. So then let me ask you this question. Is there anything too low or too far that you can do to show others that you love them? Is there anything too difficult? Is there anything outside of, of the bounds of love that we can show to others? I, don't, I think the answer to that is no. But how often do we struggle to show love to others? The incarnation shows us Christ's vast love for us. Secondly, the incarnation shows us Christ's humility in coming to earth. And, and, and the opposite of that is the necessity of our own humility. Isn't it amazing that humility characterizes the King of Kings? The very first week as we looked at this nativity series, we looked at the beginning of Matthew when we looked at the genealogy that Jesus descended from royalty because he is royalty. He is the king of kings, and yet, as being the king of kings, he humbled himself. 
He humbled himself. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 8 tells us that. It says, in being found in human form, he humbled himself. That was humbling. That's, it could be humiliating. Yet he humbled himself. Scripture says he became obedient, even to the point of the cross. Humility is necessary. Because humility we see exemplified in the incarnation. Yet how often do we struggle being humble? How often do we struggle wanting to let everyone know that we're a little bit more superior than they are? Yet God tells us in His Word that Jesus humbled Himself. The last thing the incarnation teaches us is the incarnation shows us that nothing is impossible with God. What's interesting is when the, if you were to turn there, we're not going to look there right now, but if you were to look uh, the counter passage, uh, we looked in Matthew of when, when the angel came to Joseph, but if you were to look in Luke when the angel came to Mary uh, and, and told Mary, you're going to conceive a child that's going to be, uh, end up being the Savior of the world, and uh, an inconceivable thought for her, the angel ended with these words. It said, nothing will be impossible with God. The Christmas story is a series of impossibilities. It's fulfilled prophecies, shocking revelation, <coughs> excuse me, mind-blowing miracles, international upheaval, and a single epic event of love and power that was displayed by Jesus Christ. And it shows us nothing is impossible with God. And that truth has implications beyond just the incarnation. That truth has implications to us today. How often do we think, well, I don't know if, if God can do this. God can do anything. God can do anything. If God can orchestrate the events of Christmas, God can do absolutely anything for us. The baby whose birthday we celebrated was born to die. He was born to die so you wouldn't have to. He was born to die so that you could have a relationship with your Maker because without His birth, you never could. But not only was He born to die, He was born to live. Making a relationship possible with us and the Father. If Jesus would have came to earth and He would have been placed into the body of a man and He would have came as God, but yet He came to the point of the cross and He died and He stayed dead, you know what? He could never allow us to have the relationship that we have. But I want to ask you a question today. Do you have a relationship with God today? Because that's why Jesus came as a baby. He came as a baby to reconcile a broken relationship. So do you have a relationship with, with Jesus today? The relationship that Jesus provided for you free. There's, there's nothing that you need to do. There's no level of righteousness that you need to achieve. It's free. It's a gift. And yet, at the same time, it requires our all. In humility. In love. Giving back to Him. He paid all that could ever be paid when He gave His life on the cross. 
He was born to die so that you can live. Again, I come back and my question is, do you have a relationship with him today? Let's pray. God, we are truly grateful that you made the sacrifice of sending your son to earth. Lord, we're thankful for this time of year that we can be reminded of of a baby that was in a manger. Lord, this was not an ordinary baby. God, I am so grateful that it wasn't. I am so thankful that Jesus was fully God. That he humbled himself enough to do the lowly task of living a life like we live. To show us that a relationship with God is possible. Lord, if there's any here this morning who haven't accepted the relationship that you offer, the relationship that is only possible through Jesus Christ, I pray that you will help them today to see that need and to turn to you. But God, for those that are believers, for those that have begun a relationship with you, Lord, I pray that you'll help them to take an account of the current condition of their relationship. Or maybe they've allowed sin again to build a wall, a barrier. I pray that you'll help them to break that down. Lord, maybe even as we looked at these lessons of the Incarnation, Lord, help us to see the love that Jesus modeled and to live that love in our own lives. And Lord, maybe there's some in here today that are struggling with that. There's someone that they're having a hard time loving. Maybe there's someone here that's full of pride, thinking that they've achieved something on their own, that they've become a Christian because of something good they've done, that they are, are, are someone that they can uh, be proud of, Lord, help us to be humble, to serve. Lord, even as we think about the individuals that we recognized earlier, all of them are humble, faithful servants. I pray that you help us to emulate them. Lord, and as we think about the last thing is that nothing is impossible. You are a great God. Lord, help us to never lack in faith for you. Thank you for this time that we can look in your word. We ask this in your name. Amen.